this evening we shall be confining ourselves to the evangelistic time alone. Uh, next Thursday, if the Lord wills, we may take the whole subject of soul winning and uh, uh, speak about uh, that side, uh, how to point a person to Christ and uh, so on, all that side of contacting. But this evening, the evangelistic time. Now, there are a number of things straight away to say about this very important matter. <clears throat> uh, first of all, there is the place of evangelism, although it must seem to some uh, uh, that it's hardly necessary uh, to say anything about the place of evangelism, it is in fact quite important uh, to underline uh, the place of evangelism. It, it can appear to be so very clever to say that if all is well and we are right with God, the Lord will draw in people and save them. Sounds very, very spiritual to say that. Uh, and therefore there is no need of distinctive evangelism or an evangelistic time. The idea being that uh, providing everyone was walking with God and devoted to God and worshipping God uh, and living the Christian life, that's all that matters. God will himself sovereignly draw in people. There is no need for a distinctively evangelistic ministry or time. Or again, uh, we often hear it said uh, that we do not need to preach the gospel to the unsaved especially, uh, only to preach the word of God. Our business is to preach the word of God. Now that the gospel, the word the gospel, is much greater than the gospel we preach to the unsaved, we have no doubt about that at all. Um, but again, the point here is uh, that there is really no need for a distinctively evangelistic approach. That the um, point uh, we need to all watch is that we preach the word of God. God will do the saving through the preaching of the word, however deep or complex or uh, uh, it may uh, be. If it's the word of God and given to us, God will do all the saving. Of course, we have to say that God does. I have known people saved in the most extraordinary times when a message has been given which is only to believers, and lo and behold, someone gets well and truly born of God. But then people get born at the Lord's table, and in a prayer time, I've known that, uh, and at other times too. Um, it's always good when people are getting saved. Uh, but whether there is no need, therefore, for a distinctively evangelistic ministry or time, that is another matter. Now, this often results in an attitude to evangelism and the evangelistic time, which treats the whole matter as kindergarten spirituality. You know, it's something which belongs to sort of uh, the kindergarten. It's... Uh, uh, it has really nothing to do with the deeps. Uh, if you've grown up spiritually, you'll leave that kind of thing behind. It's a kind of shallow and superficial work belonging to the lower levels of spiritual life. It's a trap that many of God's people can very easily fall into, especially when they desire above everything else to go on with the Lord. It's very, very easy because we have finite minds 
and are unable, generally speaking, to keep the whole truth in a balanced way in, one of, in, in our own mind, our own little mind, uh, we tend to go to one extreme or uh, the other. Now, this, this our attitude, however it is put, is to ignore the great commission of the Lord Jesus to the whole church. If you take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 16 and <coughs> verse 15, uh, we read this. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation, or in your authorized version, to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation or to every creature. Uh, Matthew 28 and uh, verse 19 and 20 we have the well-known words, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now this is a commission which is to the whole church, and it is quite specific. We are to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature, to the whole in the whole creation. We are to go and we are to make disciples of all nations and we have a marvelous promise if we will keep the condition. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now that's a marvelous promise. For it simply means this, that so burdened is our Lord's heart over the matter of reaching the lost and the unsaved multitudes around us that when we as the people of God fulfill um, the condition, he actually is with us in a unique way, a unique way in this matter of really reaching uh, men and uh, women, women. Now in Ephesians... Uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, we read, And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now will you please note evangelist. So the evangelist is a distinctive ministry. It is a distinct gift, a distinct ministry. There are apostles, there are prophets, there are pastors, teachers, um, there are also evangelists. And then again, we have the same thing in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, and chapter 4, and verse 5, But be thou sober in all things, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill thy ministry. Fulfill thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Um, there is something quite specific, and the Apostle Paul felt it so as a burden upon his heart that he reminded Timothy that he was to do the work of an evangelist. Again, in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, 
we went, and on the morrow we departed and came into, unto Caesarea, and entering into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we abode with him. It's a distinctive a gift, a distinctive ministry. Philip the Evangelist. Now, although evangelism is much broader than the evangelistic time, yet such times have got their place in the life of the church. The, the whole matter of evangelism is not tied to the evangelistic meeting. Real evangelism is going out and meeting people, reaching people by one means or another. Uh, it can be in the open air work, it can be uh, in house to house, it can be in contacting people in universities, in colleges, uh, in all kinds of things. But the fact remains uh, that the evangelistic time has definitely got a place in the life of the church. So there is the first point we want to make this evening, the place of evangelism in the life of the church. It has definitely got a place. Um, both the evangelistic gift and the evangelistic time. The second thing, what is the objective of evangelism? What is the objective of evangelism? Here there are a few things very, I trust, very clearly uh, put and very uh, simply put. First, the first, is to preach the gospel of God's saving power and grace. To preach the gospel of God's saving power and grace. In other words, to evangelize. Now we get the, this word evangelize from the word translated again and again in the New Testament, preach. Preach. That is really just the word evangelize. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Gospel. Uh, go round on gospel, as it were. Um, evangel preaching the gospel of God's saving power and grace. That is the objective of the evangelistic time. That's the first thing. 1 Corinthians 1.17, if anyone wants a thing. The Apostle Paul said, I was not sent to baptize. I was sent to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel of God's saving power and grace. Secondly, to preach not things but a person. The objective of evangelism is to present a living, risen, glorified, saving Christ to men and women. Not just a matter of truths or doctrines and so on, it is a matter of preaching a person. They preached Jesus. And we have that, of course, in Acts 8.35, where it says, Philip preached unto him Jesus. And uh, you have it also again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, where we're told, we preach Christ crucified, the wisdom of God and the power of God. So that's the second thing. The third thing, of course, all these things are like a telescope. They come out of each other. The third thing, to represent the mind and will of God to people who are unsaved and out of touch with him. In other words, to be ambassadors of Christ. Now, this is a glorious objective 
of evangelism. We're not just there to entertain people. And we're not just there to frighten them. And we're not just there, as it were, simply and only to persuade them. We are there as ambassadors in order, by the grace of God, to bring to them the mind and the will of God for their lives, and indeed for the whole of creation. Now, it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Let me just uh, quote that. We are ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. Ambassadors of Christ. So, we are, in fact, representing the throne of God, representing the mind, the will of God. Then there is another matter. It is to seek to persuade and win men and women to Christ. Matthew 4, verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. There are people who appear to imagine that fishing is just a question of shoving a net over into the water, and that's that. You pull it in and it's full of fish. But fishing, there is some art in fishing. And any fisherman will tell you that it's not just a question of shoving a net over into the water. To, uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, put it beautifully. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. No, he didn't. He said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. There's some art in that. There's some training in it. Um, there's something much more. And we are to seek to persuade and win men and women to Christ. Now the Apostle Paul again puts this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. He says, Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. So persuasive was the Apostle Paul that once a man said to him, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. There was the persuasiveness. It wasn't just emotion. There was a passion in the Apostle Paul. The love of God constrained him. And therefore the objective of evangelism is not just terror, but it is a passion for men and women to persuade them, not in a theatrical way, but in a living, inward, sincere way to seek to persuade and win men and women to Christ. And then, I think, a very important point. Um, the objective of evangelism is to demonstrate the power of God. Uh, oft, this is often forgotten. The objective of evangelism is to demonstrate the power of God, not just to declare that God has power, but to demonstrate the power of God. Now here, I think we in this company have got something to learn. I've got something to learn too here. To demonstrate the power of God. Now the Apostle Paul said this again and again. We'll take just one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from verse 1 to 5. I'll read it to you. And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. But I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
sanctified. And I was with you in weakness. Now, isn't that interesting? That's his, how he knew power. I was with you in weakness and in, fear and in much trembling. Now, that's very interesting, too, because we often think that, if, uh, that when you, the power of God is upon you, you, wouldn't, you, don't, you don't know anything about nerves or trembling. But here he is, much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, cleverness of man's mind, but in the power of God. Now, this matter is very important. The objective of evangelism is to proclaim the superiority of God's kingdom over all principalities and powers, world rulers of darkness, or any other kind of demonic possession or oppression, sickness, anything else that in any way binds and fetters the human race. And this is why, of course, in uh, the Lord Jesus uh, said, these signs shall follow the preaching of the word. They're demonstration. And that's a demonstration of the power of God. Not just the proclamation of the power of God, but the demonstration of that power. Again, you see, you've got it in the prayer in Acts chapter 4, when the church prayed. They said, Lord, as they pray, as your servants pray, stretch forth your hand and do signs and wonders, healing the sick, and so on. Then the place was shaken, whether God made it quite clear to them that he was with this kind of prayer. In other words, God wasn't interested in fireworks, as I fear some do get in this matter. Uh, just uh, They want to see something. Uh, they want to see something sensational. But what God was interested in was not just the proclamation of a fact, but the demonstration of a fact. The demonstration of a fact. So that we should in faith not only proclaim the gospel, but we should declare that, uh, that God can break into any human being's life and do something. And if there's a case of disease, he can touch it if he will. And where there's a case of demon possession, that thing can be got out of the way. And where there's depravity, it can be touched and the power of that depravity broken in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a demonstration of power. Now, I think this is very important that we should understand that. And then, I think, lastly, the objective of evangelism is to build up the body of Christ. This is very often also overlooked. People seem to think that all evangelism is to, to do is to get people saved. But what is the objective of evangelism? It is to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, where you will read, the evangelist is given what for? For the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, in other words, the job of the evangelist, and therefore of the evangelistic time, is to obtain the material for the construction and building up of the house of God. Just as the teacher starts to fashion the material that has been produced, just as the prophet starts to fashion the material that is produced, just as the pastor cares for the material that is produced, the evangelist is the one who gets the material there, as it were, into the builder's yard. That's his job, to provide, by the grace of God, the material. 
It's a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the material is provided for the construction work of the house of God. Well, there we are. That's the objective of evangelism. Now, what are the essential constituents in evangelism? The essential constituents in evangelism. Now, we shall whittle it right down to three. There may be many methods, many varying approaches, differing techniques uh, in evangelistic times, many, many means, many secondary means. But there are only three, as I see it, only three essential uh, constituents. Without them, evangelism becomes, on the one hand, mere entertainment, or exhibitionism, or religious emotionalism, or, at the best, the preaching of a very good and sound sermon. Full stop. And that's all it is. Now, what are these three essential constituents? Here they are. The presence of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the Word. Three essential constituents in evangelism. And, therefore, are in the evangelistic time. The presence of Christ. Go, and lo, I am with you. Any man who really preaches the gospel to unsaved men and women knows he can't have gone very far before he knows that unless the presence of the living God is Manifestly in the midst, there's no hope. It is truly the folly of preaching. If we are just to stand up and utter so many truths, just as true, it needs the presence of the risen Christ. And the wonderful thing is we have this promise, I am with you. So every time we preach, we must be careful about this constituent. Oh, we are dependent upon the presence of the risen Christ in our midst, according to his own word. And we want him to, as it were, make known. And that's why we pray so often. I do anyway. I always pray, Lord, let your presence be known from the moment we begin. When people come in, may they sense there's something much more than just a meeting here. Much more than just a preaching. Much more than just hymn singing. It is the presence of God. They may not know it, but they're aware there's something different. There's something different here. The presence of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, we read that. Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Or again, John 16 and verses 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit, when he has come, will convict, convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so on. Uh, this includes not only uh, conviction and conversion, but I believe this work of the Holy Spirit is also a matter of signs as well. We therefore should expect in faith that the Holy Spirit will in fact, dem the power of God will be demonstrated through the Holy Spirit in lives that yield to God and lives that are touched by 
the, in, in the name of God by the church. The work of the Holy Spirit, the impact, therefore, of the risen Christ upon any community that is not just a, a religious group meeting together, but things happen. Uh, when they pray, something gets answered. Uh, so, right. Uh, and, of course, lastly, the preaching of the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Um, and then if you look at verse 14 and 15, compare it with verses 14 and 15 in Romans 10, you will see there it says, but how can they hear unless someone is sent? <coughs> and so there is the whole uh, sequence of events that a person cannot hear until someone is sent with a message. Uh, and when they hear, then really hear, uh, then they can be saved. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.21 says it very beautifully. It has pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Now then, this is where we must all be careful of gimmicks, novel ideas, or anything which devalues the Word of God. And that's why we have been adamant down the years, every time we've come into a bad time on the matter of evangelism, perhaps people haven't been saved, and people come and say, well, don't you think it would be a good idea to have this, or, or go over to this, or something else, or something else, or something else. Uh, I believe that you can have any number of means by which you can reach people, but you must have these essential constituents. And at the very heart of the whole thing, there must be the presence of, the, of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the Word of God. There has never been in any time in church history a movement of the Spirit of God which at its heart has not been the preaching of the Word. It is the Word by which God saves, not, not by any other means. It is the Word. It has pleased God through the foolishness of the preaching to save those that believe. And the Apostle put it again in Romans 1, 16, 17, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So we must be very careful, I think, on this matter. Now, once we recognize this, what place have all the secondary means? Singing, playing, testimonies, well-known names, etc., 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 all means are legitimate in reaching people with the gospel, providing that they honor Christ and do not hinder or obscure the objective. Years and years ago, when I was uh, in my late teens, I remember Alan Redpath storming back from the States, having been asked to speak at a Youth for Christ, where they had brought three horses onto the platform, which did a little dance up and down and up and down. Oh, he was absolutely scandalized. Of course, I was a youngster, and I thought it was terribly funny uh, that these people had three horses in this meeting, and they'd done this little circus act. Now I understand him. You see, he said that when he came to preach, no one really was interested. They were only interested in the circus act that had taken place. It had not, whilst it may have been a gimmick to get people in, it in fact, in the end, obscured the objective.
<laughs> now, all means are legitimate. It doesn't matter what it is or who it is or what we use. All means are legitimate. Some people say, oh dear, you know, radio and television. Oh, I remember people going out in storm uh, when we had the first missionary film ever shown to us. Not here, but um, somewhere else. And uh, over the fact that it was a film, the devil was coming in with this bit of um, uh, um, celluloid. Um, uh, but I mean, there you are. That's the, the idea, you see. The Christians are very strange people. Um, they, they, they only accept anything, generally speaking, about 30 years after it's come in. And then after that, they decide that it's okay and it uh, can be used for the gospel. But uh, all means, all means are, of course, uh, uh, legitimate, providing that they honor Christ and do not obscure the objective of evangelism, which we have already mentioned and spoken about. The danger of any means is that it can become entertainment instead of a presenting of Christ. The all-governing law in evangelism is the preaching of Christ. Now, I remember when, again, when I was young, I used to hear Jeffrey Lester sing, and people, so many men got converted through the singing of Jeffrey Lester. He sang the gospel. You never, I, I don't think you ever felt, you were never left with the impression of the man, you were left more with the message that he sang. Now, this was true, of course, of even Moody and Sankey. It was a strange thing. It wasn't the women who got saved uh, through the, the singing. It was the men who got saved through the singing. And Sankey was used again and again. Of course, one of the hymns he said was the Lord most greatly used was, Where is my wandering boy tonight? Uh, which, of course, today we would really wonder uh, about using. But there you are. In that day, it was something that somehow or other God used uh, to bring many, many men to himself. Uh, uh, and so, so you see, God can use all means, providing they don't obscure the objective and dishonor Christ. Now, what about the scope of evangelism? What, then, is the scope of evangelism? Evangelistic gifts, and evangelistic meetings are to reach the unsaved. They are designed for the unsaved. They are not for teaching the believer or even principally for the help of believers and certainly not for their entertainment. If this is true, then everything must be adjusted in a right a right way to those who are ignorant of God's grace. Of necessity, therefore, they must be simple, direct, and clear. And I think we cannot stress enough the need in all evangelism, especially the evangelistic time, of directness, simplicity, and clarity. Say it again. Directness, simplicity, and clarity. The time is geared to those who do not know the Lord. It is not for helping those who do know the Lord. Although, let me say, that especially those who are young in the Lord, they get more help in the early days from that time than any other. Just because things are so simple, clear, and direct. 
And we've all found that, I'm quite sure. What we couldn't understand in the Bible study, at least we got something on a Sunday evening. And we felt, well, praise the Lord for that. And we might not have quite understood the Sunday morning with everyone up and down uh, all over the place and so on, except that it was worship, and we praised God for that, and we took part in our own heart. But in the Sunday evening, we got something. But the time is not principally for helping those who found the Lord. We must always keep this in mind. Uh, basically, therefore, the same thing has to be said, although not the same message, again and again and again and again. Now, I remember when, again, when I was young, I'm getting old now, um, uh, I remember um, there was a preacher who... Um, uh, went all round Scotland. Um, I, well, perhaps I should be careful. He's gone to the Lord now. But uh, he did, he was actually working for the the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel amongst the Jews of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And I knew very well his secretary, who typed out his message, which he preached over 61 times in two months. But the funny thing was that some people went from one place to the other to hear him. They thought the message was rather good. Of course, they got it again. So they thought they'd go on to another place. It was in Edinburgh, in three places he spoke, and they got the same message three times. Now, uh, well, sometimes the Lord does use these things, but quite honestly, uh, we had to say the same thing in evangelism, obviously, again and again and again, but we don't use the same message. Uh, believers, and sometimes older, and may I say this very clearly, sometimes older and more spiritual believers are often very selfish and self-centered when it comes to this kind of ministry and time. I'm sure that if some of the older believers realize the the, the kind of problem they put on the preacher sometimes by their, their obvious dissatisfaction, uh, with the time, um, uh, they'd perhaps ask the Lord for real help. Um, you see, uh, it's what I've called selfish and a, a selfish and self-centered attitude. At the worst, uh, people will turn, not the more spiritual, but people will turn the evangelistic time into an evening of light entertainment. Now, in my going rounds, I find this again and again. People say, wasn't the gospel? Oh, wasn't it lovely, that singing? They're not bothered one, one iota about bringing an unsaved person. They haven't even prayed for the time. But the same people will look down their nose at someone who goes to the, to the films, to the cinema. But they're treating the, the town just the same. For them, it's an entertainment. They like to sit back and listen to the singing. They like to uh, 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 sit back and listen to the playing. And then they're going to have a, a good word. They hope that perhaps a, a little lighter, you know. And, uh, and so it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of light entertainment. Now, that's at the worst. But unfortunately also, at the best, they demand something novel, interesting to them, and personally helpful, and will judge the whole time on that level. Uh, they judge such times by what, what they get 
or what they feel. Indeed, what some saints call a wonderful gospel word might help a saint, but a sinner would have to be half a saint before he could even begin to understand. And so you get this thing, oh, it was absolutely wonderful. But I mean, really and truthfully, uh, an unsaved person couldn't make head or tail. The saint, you know, is all in Canaanitish language and everything else. Well, the time is not designed principally to help believers, as I've said. It is a time when every believer should be helping. Not helped, but helping. The attitude and approach of believers to such a time makes all the difference to its practical character and atmosphere. Now there's one other point in this. The scope of evangelism is as wide as the world. Uh, we cannot confine ourselves. We cannot unerringly select those who are going to come to the Lord. You sometimes hear this kind of thing, oh dear, you know, if only the Lord could lead us sort of thing to those that are... Well, we, it's not wrong to pray that those who are prepared to the Spirit of God might come in. But it is very interesting, the emphasis in the Word of God upon preaching the Gospel to every creature. Now, it's understood that not every creature will come to the Lord, but to, to preach the Gospel to every creature, or again, to scatter the seed. And we are told that in three connections, the seed fails. In the fourth, it takes. And even then, not 100% in every part of it. We're to scatter it. We're told in another place to cast down bread upon the water. And after many days, it will come back uh, to us. Whether, we, whether they accept or reject whether they obey or disobey, our commission is to preach to all. So that's the scope of evangelism. Now may I say, before uh, we come to some quite practical matters, uh, may I make a further point? I've entitled it The Battle Over Evangelism. The Battle Over Evangelism. Um, evangelism always involves us in a battle. Now, this is why I have become absolutely convinced uh, that this matter is one of the priorities in heaven. Because whenever you start to touch this matter of real evangelism, it's as if all hell gets disturbed. Satan does not let his captives go easily. In this matter, we are making forays into enemy territory into enemy-held realms. We are going over to the offensive. It says, for instance, in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the evil one. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, the God of this age hath blinded the minds of the unbelieving, lest they should turn and be saved. In John 8, verse 44, it says, ye are of your father the devil, the desires of your father ye will do. He was a liar from the beginning. And so on. And in this connection, the Lord Jesus had said earlier, it was all on this matter. If ye abide in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And they came to him and said, what do you mean uh, about this matter of truth? We are Abraham's seed. 
and so on. And then came this statement of the Lord Jesus. In this matter of evangelism, we are advancing into enemy territory. We are actually making a foray, as it were, into realms held by the usurper. And we're all are captives to him. And what we're doing is this. We are proclaiming Christ as truth. Now it stands to reason that Satan is not going to allow men and women to be liberated and brought out of that darkness, out of darkness into his marvelous light, delivered from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. Do you think the enemy is going to allow such a thing? Of course not. Then how is he going to uh, how is he going to withstand? How is he going to, as it were, uh, render the whole thing inoperative? Well, he can do it by frontal attack. That is, he just gives us such a sense of pressure, such a sense of oppression, such a sense of heaviness, blockading us right round that in the end we all give up and start fighting each other. And that happens often. Or the other way, of course, is to just work in such a way that all the believers become disappointed and in disarray. What's the point of it? I don't really agree with it. I think we should preach the word of God, not the gospel. I think that if things were right, people would be saved. And so disarray comes through. People get disheartened. They listen to this whispering. They listen to that whispering. And dear believers become the propaganda machine of Satan. So what can we say? We can only say this. We need to know how to appropriate the victory of Christ to bind the strong man and to release the captives. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 29. Um, I'll read it to you lest I misquote it. 12, 29... Um, or how can one enter into the house of the strong man and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? So the strong man has got to be bound before we can enter into his property, as it were, into his realm and take out his goods. Spoil him of his goods. Or again, I think of John 12, verse 31 and 32, where the Lord Jesus said, um, now, is come, uh, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. But this he spake, uh, signifying by what manner of death he should die. In other words, this is the judgment of that whole realm of darkness. What is the judgment? Here it is, the prince of this world is cast out. How is he cast out? I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. He spake of his actual crucifixion. Now when we preach Christ crucified, we are declaring the fact that Jesus Christ was lifted up. The enemy is cast out. And this we have to do in the secret place before ever we do it on the platform. Or in the open air. Again, I think of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 5. The weapons of our warfare 
are not of the flesh, but are mighty before God through the pulling down of satanic strongholds. And uh, speaks of imaginations and bringing every thought into captivity to Christ. Now, often we have to take that, some of us who know these things, for the believers. Because so sad is this matter that Christians allow their thoughts to become satanically uh, inspired, as it were, or used. And so we have to bind these things in the name of the Lord so that there's a way through for the Lord to work in the matter of evangelism and really reach men and women uh, with uh, the gospel. Or again, you have it in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to uh, 20, um, where it tells us to put on the whole armor of God and to stand, and having done all, to stand. And then it says this very interestingly. Um, the Apostle Paul then brings in a personal uh, element. He says in verse 19, And on my behalf, when he speaks of their prayer. And on my behalf, that utterance may be given unto me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. In that utterance may be given in opening of my mouth. So evidently, so great is this battle that it's possible for a man to have a message from God and not be able to open his mouth. Utterance may begin in opening my mouth to make known what is uh, the gospel. Again, those of us who preach uh, the gospel, we know what it is to go into an atmosphere where it's as if there's an iron-like grip over the mouth. And if only someone would pray, it's no good just a little petition either. It needs real fellowship and persevering prayer, executive prayer in the name of the Lord. We, we need to know how to appropriate the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what it means to be soldiers. This is what it means to be soldiers. And why Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, Now, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're not just there to be entertained. You're there to enter into this warfare. Now, if you'll only put on the whole armor and stand, that's all you've got to do. Use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and open your mouth in prayer. All this, I think, is very, very important. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, They overcame Satan by the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, they counted their own lives worthless, and were ready to let them go. Uh, they had a word of testimony. Not please, 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 but you are my life. Thou art my life. The Lord is my life. He is my salvation. He is my power. He is my victory. That's testimony. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are therefore two characteristics which should mark and govern the attitude of every believer to an evangelistic time. Please, if you forget everything else, take this in. Faith and prayer. Couldn't be simpler. Faith and prayer. These are the two characteristics which must mark and govern our attitude to an evangelistic time or any evangelism. Faith and prayer. The enemy knows well enough that he must undermine our faith in order to win. He must bring in an insidious 
heart of unbelief. So that outwardly we go on in the routine of the meeting. The preacher preaches, the person leads, the one who plays, plays. If there's someone who sings, sings. Testament is given. And yet underneath it all is unbelief. No one expects anything to happen. It's an, a heart of unbelief. So often you find a company of people, none of whom expect the Lord to work. Various responsible ones, knocked out by, the, by enemy action, depressed and unbelieving. It's amazing the people who get headaches, who are responsible. Uh, or some strange thing happens in their circumstances. Drop a whole tray of crockery or something. Or, I don't know, something else happens. But it's amazing, it happens again and again and again. And so those who are responsible for various things are, are depressed, they're oppressed, they're under. And then you've got the preacher so often battered, even by the saints, that he, doesn't, that he does not expect anything to happen anyway. Now, this is quite true. Uh, it's amazing. You see, people don't understand always what happens when you're sensitive in, in some way or another on a particular matter. And you, people say all kinds of little things to you. I know the kind of thing, you know, as people go out, they sort of say, mm, I'm bringing so-and-so this evening. Are you preaching? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. When of course your heart goes, oh. And then you think, well, of course, it's quite right. Quite right. Now, the, the dear saint may not have even meant it like that. But then you think to yourself, well, of course, I'm really not much anyway. And the devil says, no. <laughs> and then you think, well, is it much good? And then you lose all confidence. Your confidence in the Lord is destroyed. So what happens? You've got a meeting which is going through all the routine and technique of a meeting, but underneath the whole thing is unbelief. No one expects anything to happen. The people who do mean business are sometimes confused by the talk and theories of those who do little but talk anyway. We all know that kind of thing, you know. Well, I don't know about that fishing, you know. Someone says at tea. I'm not sure really it's the best way of doing it. But they never do anything. They don't even speak to someone in the office. All they can do is spout a few theories. So then you feel confused, and it's amazing. The more spiritual you are, the more confused you can be by some silly little strip of a thing who utters some little comment. You're just absolutely shaken for a moment. And then you think, well, perhaps they're right. And of course, the devil's there instantly and says, yes, <laughs> oh. I mean, all that going out in the streets, what's it worth? Have you ever seen anyone say it? <laughs> You won't either. <laughs> and so, of course, we all give up. Um, in, in this way, uncertainty creeps into everything and all is limited, if not paralyzed. The Apostle Paul once said, we are not ignorant of his devices, but as I think we've often said here, many of us are. In evangelism, we need positively to exercise faith, not in men or women, but in the Lord. 
Now, if we will only positively exercise faith in the Lord, it makes all the difference in the world. All right, there are failings, there are weaknesses, and so on and so forth. But we believe in the power of God. And we believe that it has pleased the Lord through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. It is this positive exercise of faith which is so uh, necessary. And God needs this exercise of faith from the preacher and the one who leads and the one who plays and any who take part uh, to every believer in the meeting. And when everyone really believes, the whole atmosphere of the time is changed. And there's an air of expectancy. The faults are there. The failings are there. Someone stumbles over this. Someone plays the wrong notes. Not always, but just now and again. Uh, we get the wrong hymn, or someone plays something and forgets it halfway through, or uh, something. The faults are all there, but people get saved. There's a marvelous atmosphere of expectancy. Now, what's, what, what's the difference? The faults and failings of all that. The same people are all there. But there's a whole difference in atmosphere. The difference in atmosphere is there's faith, positive faith, instead of an evil heart of unbelief. Don't you think this is what the Lord was trying to say to us in that matter in Ezekiel uh, 37? About prophesying to the dead bones? I wonder now and again whether this is not really the key to the whole thing. To have an absolutely positive attitude of faith toward those who are dead in trespasses and sins in such a way that we can say in faith before the time begins these dead bones that are scattered all over the place they're going to come together by the word of the Lord. Flesh is going to come upon them and God is going to put his spirit in them and they're going to stand up. In other words, immediately a new attitude comes. It is faith, positive faith. And this begins to change everything. Um, we need also not only to pray before the gathering, but during it. We need to learn how to use the word of God in prayer, how to stand upon the promises of God, and how to know the mind of the Spirit. This is so essential. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're in the time praying in it, if you're one of those people who can do that, or whether you're in the music room and praying there. Our great need is how to use the Word of God in prayer. This kind of prayer is no, it's no, no good just saying, please do this, please do that, bless the speaker, uh, bless so-and-so. We've got to know how to use the Word of God. So that the Lord can turn us to, to parts of his will. We can stand upon it together. We must know how to stand upon the promises of God. And, and really demand, as it were, command uh, a, a blessing on the ground of a promise. We must know the mind of the Spirit. That he may, he may make known to us that maybe there's some oppression. Or there's someone in, in, in the gathering who is, uh, as it were, a source of darkness. And must be bound in the name of the Lord. Well now there are some practical points in this matter. Um, first, engaging in prayer whilst in the time. May I speak to all of you, and there are, I know, know quite a lot of you, who really do pray on a Sunday evening during the time. You actually come into it and you pray in it. Now may I say uh, uh, a few very practical points. Learn to pray for people 
as the Lord puts them on your heart. When you come into the time, sit there, and before you come, ask the Lord to lead you where you sit. Now, don't get into one of these spiritual dithers. Start at the back, move forward, and then go over to the other side. I mean, just leave it to the Lord and go and sit naturally, and you'll find that he's probably led you. Now, then, just ask the Lord, now, Lord, put someone on my heart. Be specific. Now, maybe the Lord may not do it every time. But if you're only open to him, there may be a person you know inwardly. I've got to pray for that person. Now pray. Really pray for that person. And pray for them, and pray for them with spiritual intelligence. Let the Holy Spirit make known in your own heart what the need is. There. And you'll be led. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Just go by an inward knowledge of what you should pray for. Maybe there's bondage and you've got to Command a breaking of the bondage in the name of the Lord. You've got to plead the blood of the Lamb or the finished work of Jesus Christ over that one. Maybe it's the entrance of God's word. There's some kind of barrier to it. And you've got to break that barrier, remove it in the name of the Lord. Well, pray, be specific. Secondly, learn how to bind the enemy in his works during the time. If the Lord gives you a scripture, get learn off certain scriptures by heart. Not not so that you can just be a parrot, but so that they can come to your heart by the Holy Spirit. The Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And this kind of scripture where you really can uh, uh, use that scripture in this matter. We will triumph in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord our God, we will set up our banners. And these kind of wonderful scriptures... When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a banner against him, a standard against him. Get hold of certain scriptures and be able to bind the works. Remembering that there are others who are joining you in prayer. You don't know where they are, but heaven knows, and there may be a symphony of prayer on a particular matter which breaks it. Especially when there's some interruption or some child or something else or some difficult group. We must learn how inwardly, without apparent, not apparently, but in reality, inwardly, we are taking hold of a matter in prayer. Thirdly, especially pray for the closing, concluding moments. It's often there that the enemy exerts his full pressure, uh, lest there be a breakthrough. It's always those closing moments when you can feel a mounting pressure. It's quite, it's a, it's a definite thing. A mounting pressure in those closing moments where it's as if the, the, the Satan says, well, now I'm going to stop anything further from here. You learn to pray in those concluding uh, moments and pray uh, 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 for wisdom to be given and liberty to do the will of God in those at that time. If you can pray without shutting your eyes, do so for the Lord's sake. Um, it is a little bit much when any unsaved person looks round and sees at least one third of the congregation. <laughs> they may well feel that they're all the same. <laughs> so uh, you must develop this marvellous habit of praying with your eyes open. Watch and pray. Yeah. That's not exactly how the Lord meant that. But uh, in this matter, take it literally, watch and pray. Watch the people and watch the preacher and pray. Do not also let your lips move or your teeth chatter. 
Uh, sometimes I have noticed people go. <laughs> I, I'm not joking either. There are some amongst us who do this, and um, I sometimes wonder whether an unsafe person coming in, sitting next to some, wonders what's happened, whether they've been let out for uh, for the afternoon. <laughs> so uh, I should uh, try try to keep your mouth uh, pin shut. Keep your teeth shut. Don't look grim, but keep your teeth shut when you're praying. It is true. Many of us, you know, this is a natural fact, isn't it? Many of us can't pray silently. I mean, this, I can't. I always find that, generally speaking, I've got to pray out loud. Um, and I find it helpful to pray out loud. Now, when it comes to a time in the middle, you can't pray out loud. So what happens is people often... <laughs> Now, they've only got to shut their eyes and start doing it. <laughs> and then, of course, they feel great pressure and you see an agonised look. <laughs> well, of course, naturally, unsafe people want what on earth is happening? So be careful. Now, second, few observations on prayer in the music room whilst the time's in progress. Now, do those of you who go there, you remember once, I've, I've told you this story before, but for those who've never heard it, I'll tell it again. Once someone asked Spurgeon, a uh, visiting speaker, he said, what on earth is the secret of your power when he saw this great congregation, so many people coming to the Lord and so on. And Spurgeon said, come with me. And he took him to the back of the pulpit, opened the door, and there behind were 400 people in an anteroom of prayer. He said, this is what I call the Aaron and Her Society. Now, there's no doubt, you see, that this is the secret, very much. Now, those of you, not, not, we don't want everyone to go into the music room, obviously, but there are those who feel called to do so, and to go into that time and to really pray during the actual course of the gathering. Now, it's very important, be open to the Lord to lead you and to burden you, to direct you in prayer. You must be careful of turning that time into just a little time of petition. You need to wait upon the Lord and let him direct you in prayer. That's the first thing. Expect him to direct you. Really tell him at the very beginning, some of you, say, Lord, we're expecting you to really lead us and direct us now in prayer because this is essential. Um, the second thing, remember all that has been said on the subject of uh, 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 corporate prayer. No shopping list prayer. Otherwise, you'll destroy the whole time. Keep to one matter as God leads you in that time. That otherwise, you will destroy the effectiveness of it. Thirdly, and here's a point I would very much like to underline, do remember uh, that there, uh, to be open to the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in that time in any way he chooses to do so. Because I believe that that is the most important time. I'm not so bothered about big manifestations of the big public, but those are the times we need it. Where the Holy Spirit is able to make a person aware, and through that person, that little group in prayer, there is tonight a bondage on this meeting. And it's got to be broken. And the only way it can be broken is by standing on the word of God or taking the finished work of you or something else. You see, it is that, that, that knowledge or that wisdom 
you see, a word of knowledge or wisdom or faith. Do be open in that little time to the Holy Spirit to lead you quite normally and naturally, uh, without any, dram- any dramatics or theatricals, uh, to know the mind of God and so be directed in prayer. And then that prayer ministry will be fulfilled. Now we come to the last uh, few moments of our time this evening, some practical observations. Uh, on this man. These are intensely practical observations. Firstly, do not stay away because you feel useless. Your presence can mean something to the Lord. Now, of course, if you just come as a kind of lump, a saved lump, of course, there may not be much point. But don't let the devil tell you that that's all you are. There's no need for you to be a saved lump. You can be full of animation, spiritual animation. And if you'll only say that to the Lord, he'll see to it that you are. And if you feel dead, praise the Lord. There's nothing more wonderful. Why should you feel alive? Death in you, life in them. Marvellous. So if you feel as dead as doornails, praise the Lord and don't let the devil get in. Just say, wow, this is absolutely wonderful, Lord, but fulfilling the scripture. Death in me, life in them. The time's not for you. It's not that you might feel wonderfully alive. The time's that you might feel dead so that everyone else can feel alive. So praise the Lord. And the devil won't know what to do. As the little boy said when I was superintendent of Sunday school and had to read Ephesians 6, about the willies of the devil instead of the wiles of the devil. Lindsay Glegg said afterwards, yes, that's perfectly right. When you put on the whole armour of God and stand, the devil gets willies. (laughs) So just remember that. It's perfectly true. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. Uh, Well, now don't get on your knees in the meeting, please, but do not (laughs) stay away because you feel useless Your presence can mean something. Of course you can come as just a lump, a kind of log. But you can also come by the grace of God to be animated by the Spirit of God in a spiritual way and to to mean something in that gathering. Firstly. Second, give yourself deliberately to the Lord for the whole time. Don't just drift in and sit there and wait for to be caught up in the spirit of the time. Come in and sit down, bow your head, and give yourself deliberately to the Lord for the whole time. Say, now, Lord, I'm here deliberately. I'm giving myself to thee for this time. Sing with all your might. Those of you who can't sing in tune, well, uh, still make some kind of noise. I hope you're not all together. I remember once in one gathering, I had Doug on one side and, <laughs> and Bob Oddie behind me, and there was someone else, I can't remember who it was, on the other side, and my word, it was so beautiful. <laughs> it was a joyful noise unto the Lord. But I think it's better to open your mouth and make a joyful noise than, than to... People, you know, sometimes people sing the most of them, sort of wonderful hymn, like crown him with many crowns in him. <laughs> you know, it's so silly, isn't it? Crown him with many crowns. Sing it. Don't let that English 
sort of phlegm gets you down. Uh, really sing it. Now, and strangely enough, the British people have a tremendous name all over the world for singing, famed for their singing. So don't uh, uh, be restrained as a matter. Sing with your mind. It is this that, that often the unsaved note. The, the, the way we sing, uh, the, the sincerity of our singing, and so on. So sing with all. Be positive. Don't be negative. Be positive. Uh, try not to look half dead. Uh, so much is taken uh, note of by unsaved people as to the attitude and um, uh, behavior of believers. Now I know this from experience. Uh, days ago, I shan't say who, but I used to hear again and again uh, from a certain member of my family um, about what about so and most embarrassing when so-and-so happened to be a dear believer. But uh, a relative of mine had spotted that so-and-so looked half dead in the meeting. Also didn't know. <laughs> and singing hymns about there's joy in serving Jesus. And of course people say, well, it's no good me singing that. Of course you can sing it. There is joy in serving Jesus because you're not serving. You haven't got any joy, but you can sing it. It's the truth. <laughs> well, now, don't you see it? It's the truth. may not be true of you, but it's true. There is joy in serving Jesus. And you are probably the evidence of it, only in the negative way. <laughs> well, do remember, don't look half dead, because there's no doubt about it that unsaved people do note the way Christians look and their attitude and so on. Be punctual. If you have not gone fishing, the least you can do is to be there on time. A half-empty place is no testimony to the unsaved ones who are there. And some people have prayed very much for some friend and they bring them along five, ten minutes before the time and the place is half-empty. Now, we know it fills up, but again, it isn't really a testimony. Now, of course, I would be delighted if I thought that every person who came in late had been out fishing, but I know for a fact, because I'm told every week how many are out fishing. So I know jolly well all those people who come in and look at me as much as say, have been out fishing. <laughs> I know they're hypocrites. They haven't been out fishing at all. They just had a late tea. Sat round talking and come late, just drifted in. I mean, uh, be punctual. It, just, it's no testament to see dozens streaming in late who are obviously Christians. But Sunday after Sunday this happens. We begin more than half empty. Within a quarter of an hour, we're full. There's no testimony, is it? Unless you're out fishing. So if you don't, you don't feel you can go out fishing, we shall come to that another evening, at the very least you can do is to see that you're there on time and that you've taken that position with the Lord of giving yourself to him and that you're in a positive spirit concerning the time. Be friendly and helpful before, during and after the time. Speak to and welcome strangers. Share your Bible with those who have not got one. Help latecomers with hymn books. These little things, they all mean something. There's practical things. Someone hasn't got a Bible. You don't want to make a great show of it. It may embarrass them. 
you know, I, that's awful when you, someone hasn't got a Bible and someone comes marching over plonks an enormous family Bible upon someone's lap, you know. That's bound to embarrass them. But if, if you're sitting next to a person, just ask them, would you like Jesus? And sometimes people say no, but it's just a gesture of friendliness. Same with the hymn book. Don't embarrass people by making them conspicuous. But uh, those of us who are near, just share a hymn book. Be friendly and helpful. Before, do you smile at people? Don't just <laughs> sort of look at people as much as they want. Oh, I wonder who you are. <laughs> are you Turkish or Siamese? <laughs> I mean, just remember that the enemy is very busy when uh, you're unpremeditated look has effect upon them. Uh, again, um, uh, fourthly, be, uh, fifthly, be clean, and tidy, and presentable. Adorn the gospel. The obvious need of a bath is no testimony. <laughs> no, but I mean, you laugh, but unfortunately it's very sad sometimes that there's a person with a Bible, and obviously a Christian, and I will not say any more. <laughs> Likewise, teeth cleaning. That's a practical point. But to open your mouth and ask someone whether they're saved or whether they're and it and well, I won't say any more. But you need Colgate's ring of confidence. <laughs> is no no testimony. And the same with hair combing. Be a testimony in your appearance. Uh, then sixthly, watch loud chattering or stage whispers before the time, during it, um, or after it. Um, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong in just welcoming someone and speaking with someone. Just be careful um, of that, and especially those stage whispers. Remember the most marvellous occasion, I suppose I shouldn't tell you, when I was a lad um, at uh, Duke Street when there were two ladies who only came on Sunday evening to the theatre. And uh, in a quiet moment during the gathering, one said to the other one, I thought you said he got his own teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we loved it. It was Mr. Redbath, because he had got his own teeth. But I mean, uh, these two... The stage whisper, they had no idea, of course, that the whole theatre with a thousand people in it uh, more or less heard this marvellously, marvellous evidence of voice production because although it was a whisper, everyone heard it right up to the gallery. So um, just remember about those stage whispers. I'm not going to say some of the ones we've had here, but we've had some marvellous ones here too. Uh, that um, probably really can't be mentioned uh, decently. Uh, but um, stage whispers, be careful of them. Just be careful of that kind of thing. Be careful of all those things which distract others during preaching or testimony. Now, I don't know why, but sometimes when in the preaching of the word, some people decide that they've got to find a certain scripture. And all you can hear is this. <laughs> And by the time you've finished, a whole section is all sort of watching <laughs> someone trying to find a scripture. Now, when it's an evangelistic time, try and control yourself. It's, in Bible teaching, it's quite different. We don't mind it at all. But you see, in the time when the gospel's being preached, the enemy uses the slightest instant like this to distract and divert somebody. 
Same thing as when someone turns around and says, what was that? And then someone goes back and says, John 3.16. Now be careful of these things because these things take people's minds off the gospel and they've lost. Something that God was trying to say to them. That's different in a Bible study, that's okay. But don't do it in uh, the other. Now, it's the same with book dropping. Uh, If you have a tendency to drop books, and some people have, it's a sure sign that you don't put your books under the chair. You keep them all on your lap, and then all of a sudden, blonk, blonk, blonk. (laughs) So... Just remember these simple little things because you can be quite sure you'll only feel embarrassed when in some dramatic moment all your books have slipped off your lap. Same with spectacles. Not that I've ever seen it here, but when I used to go to Linz, there was a dear sister there who was famous for her spectacles. What happened was that she had spectacles on, she would start to nod, they came down and down, fell onto her lap, and then she woke up, and then... She did like that and broke her glasses. And she, oh, mine barilla, mine barilla. So uh, you see, the thing is that then the whole company was lost for a few moments while everyone sort of muttered and, and felt sorry for, for Knepolina, as she was called, um, because she had broken her glasses again. She, her husband told me before he went to the Lord that he used to buy her at least three or four pairs of glasses per year. Anyway, just be careful of your glasses. Another point. Sweets. I don't know what it is, but some people, to stop themselves from coughing, take out a sweet and you hear... (laughs) (laughs) Then... (laughs) And then... (laughs) And by that time, the whole company is all... (laughs) Wondering what's happening. Now, probably it might be better for you to cough. Uh, in this connection, unless you can just remember to unwrap your sweet before you get in. Um, and then, of course, there is the other very unfortunate habit. I will say it's not so well known, it's not so greatly practiced here, of nose blowing. But you will all, those of you who were here some years ago, will remember a certain brother who, when we were preaching away with. <laughs> and. A whole sentence was lost. <laughs> Not a word. A whole sentence was lost. I congratulated him afterwards. I said, surely no one has been able to blow their nose in such a way that a whole sentence of the gospel was eradicated. Well, now, these are things that we laugh about. them, But these things can be very irritating. Because all these little items are the things that the enemy uses to often divert attention. We know that people should be, but we've got an enemy. And people, uh, he doesn't want those people to come through uh, to himself. If you have a tendency to faint or a bad cough, sit near the door. (laughs) Do not get into an inaccessible place and then faint. (laughs) Um, And then again, another point, be very careful of unnatural or mechanical ejaculation. When it is genuine, it's all right. Although even that, it needs controlling. There's nothing wrong with a good hallelujah or a praise the Lord when it's a a, a heartfelt thing. But do be careful of anything that's artificial or mechanical. It needs avoiding like the plague. Years ago, we had a gentleman in who, um, I remember, used to say hallelujah in the most extraordinary places. He only came in once, I think we were rather thankful for that, and we'd never seen him again. 
but in that time uh, he prayed and he prayed for uh, uh, Ivan's hallelujah stones. <laughs> At that time uh, Ivan had suspected stones. And then he said, and we stand against the hallelujah devil. Now he got this doctrine evidently that a hallelujah came from the spirit of God within you and sort of came from deep down here somewhere and sort of just came out. And you, when it, Once it started you must let it out. It was that kind of doctrine of, of, uh, uh, of the spirit. And his hallelujahs came in the most extraordinary places. Like many of you will remember that particular <laughs> gathering because it was quite unforgettable. Um, nevertheless, I think that kind of thing has to be avoided like the plague. Uh, and it uh, nearly always puts people off. Be attentive and helpful in attitude. It's a great help to the preacher to see eager and sympathetic faces. <laughs> well, it is. Um, on the other hand, um, sleepiness, yawning, etc. You know, that's one of the things that unsaved people know very quickly. Well, it's only natural, isn't it? Especially a yawn. Now, people can't help sleeping um, sometimes, uh, especially some people. They've only got to get into a meeting and they start. And as we say, funnily enough, these people always sit in the front, normally on one or either side, and they were... As someone said to me, one goes, and the other goes, <laughs> something like that. If you have got a tendency to sleep, try and not put yourself in a place which is too obvious, and then have one of those great starts where you uh, uh, wake up. But even worse, and people can't help that, but I must say I do think it's terrible when you have this... <laughs> Now, you will know that we have had such things more than once. An absolute yawn. More like, well, I will not say what, than a human being. Um, now, that kind of thing, obviously, uh, is not helpful at all. So watch all these things. It is amazing, you know, what people do. You see, some people are praying, and their heads never come up. Uh, well, that's all right when you know they're praying. Um, sometimes you feel there might be uh, blatant disapproval. Uh, you're not sure on this. The enemy always whispers in your ear, look at them all. They're all suffering tonight. Um, or sometimes I've seen them at, you know, once I actually saw someone push their teeth out and they went back. <laughs> no help to a preacher with a sense of humor, I might say. <laughs> It's lovely to have eager and sympathetic faces <laughs> when you're preaching. It does help the preacher and the person who's leading and so on. So do remember these things. Now, do always seek to fill up the front seats. Many visitors prefer to sit in the back, especially men. Uh, they like to come in if they're unsaved, and they like to just sit quietly in the back. They want to be in the gathering, but they don't want to be in a conspicuous place. Unfortunately, many believers who should know better also like to sit in the back. And so, if you can always remember that, always try to fill up the front and lead the back for uh, those uh, who are not the Lord's, so that they can come in. Be helpful about sit sitting, always uh, 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 about where you sit. 
And be careful about always sitting on the outside. Now, there are certain people who do need to because they have to go out and so on. Um, but uh, it is difficult when you get people who just uh, unthinkingly sit plonk on the outside with a whole row uh, that is empty. And then often largish people, people have got to go through in our crowded meetings, got to somehow push through. If you can, move into the centre so that it's easier for people uh, to, to come. Uh, always try to help the stewards in this matter. Now, just a, a very simple little word to those who are stewarding. Um, if you are stewarding, remember your responsibility and, to, and seek to discharge it well. I suppose there's no other gathering more important than the evangelistic time as far as stewarding uh, goes. Um, uh, a meeting can be destroyed by the doors being left shut too long so that terrific heat builds up, or windows uh, not being open enough or open too much. It's a terribly difficult thing because sometimes you've got a great gale blowing, sometimes a breeze, sometimes nothing at all. Those who don't like the cold insist on always sitting in the coldest places in the gathering, and those who complain bitterly about heat will always sit next to a radiator. And those who don't like fresh air always sit under an open window and then say, would someone please shut the window? And so it goes on. Uh, we're not always exactly helpless. Now, the stewards have got a terrible job on hand often, trying to satisfy everybody, trying to keep peace and order, and so on. Their main job, of course, is to maintain quiet and order so that the gospel can be preached. Uh, just remembering on the question of coughing and so on, sometimes someone has coughed themselves into an almost a paroxysm. And we've had to say from the platform, could someone give that person a glass of water, please? person on the door is positively oblivious. So enwrapped by the gathering, are they? Um, that they've forgotten their thing. On the other hand, some people have to go, <coughs> and a steward rushes forward <laughs> and shoves the glass of water in there, which actually causes more kerfuffle than if they were to leave it all together. Now, it just needs wisdom in these uh, matters. Um, the question of children, the question of emergencies, difficult people and groups, all these things... Uh, if you're stewarding, you need wisdom and help from the Lord. So make sure that you don't just take it as a job. Really look to the Lord and say, Now, Lord, I also am deliberately giving myself to you for this time. And I'm ready for you to help, direct, be obedient to whoever's supervising the stewarding, uh, and so on. These things are quite important. Seek to be practically helpful. Do not block entrances in the time after the service. If asked to move, do so. Uh, pleasantly. Uh, help with teas or serving or chairs if you have nothing else to do. Um, if you are someone spiritually older and responsible, be near at hand and available for counselling should you be required after the gathering. It's quite a few times more recently, suddenly there comes a deluge and so on, and we're complete with that. We go, where's those? Where's those? Where's those? No one's to be found. Always at the times when we need them, no one's to be found. So try and remember this. Actually, I hope that when we take the matter of soul winning, we'll be able to talk about this and perhaps uh, have a, a, a band of folks who would be ready to help and counsel in this matter, because it would be so good. We would like to see this. Um, 
Do not be afraid of spiritual gifts in an evangelistic time, providing they're under the government of the Holy Spirit. Generally speaking, they will be in the background um, and more in use after, uh, in the times of counseling and so on. But don't be afraid of them, uh, providing they're under the government of the Holy Spirit. Um, Do not be guilty of aggressiveness or offensiveness when speaking to visitors who do not know the Lord. This is perhaps one of the most common failures of us children of God. Now, sometimes it's due to our nervousness. We're so nervous, and when we get talking, we tend to give an impression of bluntness and almost offensiveness, aggressiveness. But I think this is a terribly important matter. Um, When people get hold of people and get them into a corner and say, are you saved or are you born again or are you a true Christian, I'm not always sure that it's the right way. There's a time sometimes when you should press home a question with a person that you know and love and who has respect in you, and they will respond to it. But I think we have to be very, very careful of just buttonholing people. More damage has been done in this than in any other matter. Love people. Care for people. Just express your humanity. And I'm sure that if the person has any respect for you or confidence in you, they will ask you themselves about various things. And you have the opportunity to say very simply. But do be careful of being offensive or in an aggressive manner, or or offensive in any way. It's so easy, you know, to sort of say, you, you're not a Christian. I have no idea of the effect it can have on a person. Or to sort of say in a very sort of, uh, uh, you don't realise it, but perhaps in a rather unpleasant manner, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. I mean, these are things we have to watch carefully. In a few words, a dear believer can destroy the whole value of a town. And the word says something about these millstones being around our own neck for those who hinder uh, those who are just come to the law. Like that. So be careful. Don't be afraid. But be careful, that's all. Um, uh, the great thing, if you want to know positively what to do, is to be natural. Be absolutely natural. You're a human being. You're not a spiritual machine. You're not a trap machine, and you're not a promise box. Just be natural. Be a human being. And express your faith, and express your testimony. And don't forget, you don't have to all the time speak about Christian things and spiritual things to people. We have seen person after person come to the Lord in this company, and they weren't badgered. Most of those who solidly came to the Lord were loved. And then they just opened up and came marvelously through to the Lord. So, just remember that. There's nothing like being normal and natural. Well, now, there we are. Let's turn it all back to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we need thee to turn this all into actual practice. And we thank thee, Lord, that thou canst use all these things not to bring any spirit of condemnation upon any of us, but to correct us and to train us in the way that we ought to go. And we pray about this whole matter of evangelism, that thou wilt help us, Lord, in our approach to it, our attitude to it. Thou wilt help every one of us to be a positive force in this, in this matter. We may-